Hey y'all, this is Culture Soup, where tech, culture, and business collide. It's a podcast that spoons up everything hot from social media. I'm your host, L. Michelle Smith, and each episode, we bring you some of the most notable and not yet notable thought leaders in tech, business, and culture. The year was 1995. I was in my final year of grad school. At the time, I was working at Channel 4. It was the Fox affiliate. It had become Fox from being CBS. Yeah, I'm dating myself. As I was wrapping up my time at Texas Christian University, one of the deliverables, if you've been to grad school before, in any of the liberal arts, you'll know that you have to deliver a thesis. Not only do you have to deliver it to your committee, but you have to defend it. My thesis chairperson was Dr. Anantha Babbley. He's the same professor that ensured that all three or four of us black students at TCU made it to the National Association of Black Journalists chapter meeting there in Fort Worth each time they met. Well, Dr. Babbley was all about multiculturalism. He still is. He's all about globalism. He still is. (laughs) And he's all about diversity and inclusion. As my thesis chairperson, he wanted to ensure that my thesis and my studies had some cultural lens to it. So I I was... deciding on the topic that I would explore a year before. I decided to look into what African-American images were like on local television news and how newsrooms could impact it. In fact, I have it right here, and it's called African-American Images in Local Television News. And it was a qualitative and quantitative look at what those images were and who impacted them. Lots of interviews, lots of sources cited, but among those cited was a book called Colored People by Dr. Henry Louis Gates Jr. Dr. Gates is a professor of African American studies at Harvard University. His wasn't the only book that I quoted from or cited Dr. Cornel West, who's also at Harvard. Lerone Bennett Jr., you may remember his groundbreaking black history book, one of the first of its kind, at least it was the most prolific, before the Mayflower. He went on to do work at Ebony Magazine. The list of citations in this book reads like the who's who in African-American studies and African-American culture What's interesting about my thesis is the timing. If you recall, in 1995, maybe 1994, that famous white Bronco was captured on network news in that low-speed chase. I'm talking about O.J. Simpson. Yeah, I thought that was going to throw off my entire study because we were going to see his face on television all the way through the trial. Well, 
I couldn't write this book without quoting Dr. Gates. I had read several of his books before, and I really admired Dr. Gates. Lo and behold, fast forward to 2016. I'm working at AT AT&T, and it's time for Black History Month. During that time, we had a program called 28 Days, and we needed a spokesperson. Well, budgets were low. We had to pull a rabbit out of the hat. Spoke to my friends over in sponsorship who shared with me that they had a contract and a sponsorship with PBS, which would allow us access to Dr. Gates. My team and I had an idea. Why didn't we start leveraging Dr. Gates' voice during Black History, even though his show, Finding Your Roots, wouldn't come on until later that fall? All we could do was ask, and we did, and he agreed. I never will forget the first conversation I had with Dr. Gates. In fact, I told my team, give me a few minutes to speak with Dr. Gates. Just put your phones on mute because I have to go here. And there he was, just as jovial on the line and friendly as I had imagined. And I told him that I had cited him in my thesis And I had a fangirl moment. That's what I call it. And you know what? He was so down for it. He wanted to know which book I quoted. And we talked a bit about it. For the next three years, we would work together on and off around the sponsorship for Finding Your Roots. We culminated in 2018 in December of that year with an event that I'll never forget. And we talk about it in this broadcast Ladies and gentlemen, I am so fortunate to have the Dr. Henry Louis Gates Jr. on the Culture Soup podcast today. When this show airs, the first episode of the 2019 season, season six of Finding Your Roots would have aired on the Tuesday before. So I feel very blessed and very fortunate to be one of the first media to interview Dr. Gates ahead of this show. So first of all, a little housekeeping. All of my listeners in the United States, and maybe you can also stream around the globe, wherever you are, because we are heard on nearly every continent. You need to tune in to Finding Your Roots on Tuesdays, and it airs at 8 Eastern time. We talk about how he turned his absolute itch for ancestry into a real thing. You know, he's an entrepreneur. He's a businessman. He and his team of genealogists and ancestry experts and historians are using the very latest in technology to tell the stories of our lives and our ancestors' lives. He's also a professor, but he is the king of culture. I'm also very proud that we have become friends. Ladies and gentlemen, joining me by phone, Dr. Henry Lewis Gates Jr., Alphonse Fletcher, professor at Harvard and the director of the Hutchins Center for African American Research and the host of PBS's Finding Your Roots. Hey, Dr. Gates, how you doing? I told you I would do your show. I told you, you did I would do say your so. Show. 
And I believed you too. Oh, Michelle, it's so exciting. We it's season six, and it features um, twenty eight guests who represent a range of occupations. But the main thing is that we are expanding from 10 episodes to 16 episodes over the last year because of our popularity on on PBS. And we have the most amazing diversity ever from our guests. Um, Isabella Rossellini, Angelica Houston, and Mia Mia Farrell in the first episode. And Melissa McCarthy and Eric Stone Street are in episode two. But over the, the 16 episodes, get ready for this. Sigourney mm-hmm. Weaver and Amy Ryan. Oh. Queen Latifah and Justina Machado. Oh, Jerry wow. Gross and Jeff Goldblum. Gail King, Jordan Peele, Diane von Furstenberg, Narciso Rodriguez and RuPaul, and even da-da, Nancy Pelosi and Nora O'Donnell. <laughs> oh, wow. Boy, you have a lineup. You have quite a lineup. Yeah. And you know that must have been fun. Yeah. It was total fun to film it. It's, uh, you know, a lot of travel and hard work. But you know what? What makes it worth it? Yeah. It, I sit with I sit with these individuals for four hours. Now they're used to doing press interviews for twenty minutes and then moving on. They mm-hmm. sit and I walk them from their birth up their yeah. mother's side of the family tree and the father's side of the family tree over four hours. Wow. And they laugh, they cry, you know, they demonstrate such a wide range of emotions. They're shocked, they empathize. Mm -hmm. And you know why? Because the stories of your ancestors are really the stories of yourself. Absolutely. It is, you you carry DNA from all the ancestors on your family tree. Mm -hmm. And you have a lot of ancestors. You know, we don't think about it. But the number of our ancestors doubles with each generation. So you have wow. two parents, you have four mm-hmm. grandparents, you got eight great grandparents, you have sixty-four fourth great grandparents. <laughs> my my metaphor, my metaphor for ancestry is that our ancestors are kind of um, in a in a, a kind of um, silenced purgatory, a state of suspended <laughs> animation. Okay, explain that. And when you, well, when you find them, they all have stories to tell, right? The stories mm-hmm. of their life, which you've inherited literally through your DNA and figuratively through the, your family's sociology and culture passed down invisibly. Right. And when we find them in the records, effectively we're unlocking this um, cavity that they've been uh, suspended in, and they tell their story. And I call it the scrapbook that uh, we give each guest when they sit down. I present them their book of life. Right. And the name is taken from an old Negro spiritual. It goes, oh, write my name, oh, write my name, oh, write my name in the book of life. Mm-hmm. When I get to heaven, angels go to write my name. And what we're do- you're doing is allowing these ancestors to write their name in the collective yeah. uh, book of life. And it's relevant to you because... You've inherited the effects of these stories, even if you don't know them. That is it's, uh, like um, <laughs> ancestral osmosis. <laughs> oh, wow. That's and, the way you put it. Yeah. And I think the, the reason that we're so popular is because we have two subliminal messages which are urgently needed today. 
Yeah. One is that we're a nation of immigrants. Even mm-hmm. African Americans, like me, mm-hmm. are descended from ancestors who were born in Africa, but they were dragged here in chains on slave ships. But, so they were unwilling immigrants, but they were will, immigrants nonetheless. Right. The other lesson is that despite our apparent um, differences of phenotype, under the skin, at the level of the genome, we're 99.9% the same. Right. And that's the message that at this time when the zombies of white supremacy are coming up out of the ground like the uh, tail end of a, a, a <laughs> grade Hollywood film, you know, you look at these <laughs> yeah. people in Charlottesville, I looked at them and I said, I thought your ass was dead. You know, like where, where yeah. did these people come from? You know, you, you read about the Nazis, and you say, well, that'll never happen again. You read about the Ku Klux Klan, you go, that'll never happen again. Martin Luther King died um, to make us free. Abraham Lincoln died to make us free. You know, aren't we, the the, six million Jews died so that we would end fast. Well, and Dr. Gates, I have to ask you this question. I mean, you are the foremost anyone. scholar on culture and heritage, especially African-American heritage, but you mentioned some very important things around migration, and one thing is that we're blending. You know, if the human genome makes us all the same, then on top of that, we are actually marrying outside of our races to produce more children that are the same, right? So, do you think Absolutely. that there's? Do you think the, the zombies are here because they realize that there is a browning of America? Well, I think in, in part yes. I think um, I think there are two causes. The first thing is that we already are blended. Mm-hmm. When we do the DNA of people who think, well, I'm all Irish. Um, take my friend Stephen Colbert, who's a genius, right? And he right. loves his Irish heritage. I love doing his, his ancestry because <laughs> it turned out that he had one German Lutheran great-great-grandfather. He couldn't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. <laughs> and in tomorrow's episode, uh, which is the first episode of season six, the name of it is Hollywood Royalty. Mm-hmm. And it features Mia Farrell, um, Isabella Rossellini, and Angelica Houston. We found out to her amazement that Angelica Houston is 2.7% Ashkenazi Jewish, and that means that she, that's the equivalent of a great-great-great-grandfather wow. on her family tree who was all Jewish. And when we revealed that she is related through DNA uh, to Bernie Sanders and Larry David. <laughs> we don't even wow. know the name of this guy, but the DNA, as the brothers of the street say, DNA don't lie, you know? <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the DNA, it's true. And the Gail King is yeah. one of our guests. And Gail King, mm-hmm. like many black people, was raised um, um, th- uh, being told that she had this white ancestor. So we decided to pursue the story. And it turns out that it's absolutely true mm-hmm. that um, um, Gail's... Um, that she had white ancestors on her mother's family tree, and we used DNA to, to, to identify her white great-great-grandfather, a man named Robert Elliott Copes, who was a treasurer of the county of Orangeburg in South Carolina in the 1890s, and no doubt the descendant of Confederates. And so wow. that story was true.
here is one of the most amazing things revealed by DNA okay. about uh, American uh, genetic identity. The average African American is 24% white. Mm-hmm. The average African American is 24% white. And that's because of slavery. And right. on the other hand, the average African American is only 0.8% Native American. Native American. <laughs> And, and every African-American ever met thinks they're 24% Native American. <laughs> yes. Okay, now talk about that. We've discussed this before. Why do so many black people believe that they are descendants of Native Americans? I would think that that would be regional. Well, it's because – I asked Chris Rock that. When we started the series, remember I just did um, black guests. It was called African-American Lives. Mm-hmm. And in African-American Lives too, I did a fabulous interview with Chris Rock, in which he broke down and cried because we showed him that his great-great-grandfather, Ju- uh, uh, Julius Caesar Tingman was his name, was in 1872 oh, wow. elected to the South Carolina legislature in the Reconstruction government. And he had no idea, and he told me when he collected himself, I go, why, well, you know, I'm wondering why he was crying. He said that he had wanted to be a politician. He had gone to his mother when he was 12, and his mother had said, uh, the system won't let black men become politicians. And Mm. so he he gave up that ambition. But in his own family tree, there was um, a politician, so that there are amazing stories buried on your family tree. So when I – he said, well, do I have Native American ancestry? And I go, not much. (laughs) (laughs) I go, Chris, why do you think – all of our brothers and sisters um, maximize our Native American ancestry and minimize our European ancestry. And he said, well, because that European ancestry, by and large, came in through rape or cajoled sexuality Mm -hmm. during slavery. And so who wants to think about that? It's better. It's easier to fantasize that your ancestor ran away from slavery over the hill, the Native Americans welcomed him warmly and said, hey, you want to marry my daughter? You know what? <laughs> right. Chief. <laughs> it's easier to have that fantasy than to confront the reality of rape during slavery. Uh, right. Uh, right. The, the majority of our white ancestry entered our genome. You know, one of my friends, he's in Houston, he is the sixth great-grandson of Thomas Jefferson and his slave, Sally Hemings. His name is Shannon Lanier, he's an anchor down in Houston, and he talks about how sometimes people want to romanticize that, but he tries to keep it real. He's written a book about it. Do you find that often, that people try to romanticize, you know, um, whites and blacks coming together back during the 1800s? Well, let me put it this way. When I um, identify a person's white ancestors mm-hmm. for them, a black person's white ancestors, and then using DNA, we actually often track down your white cousins walking around. Yeah. So I say to the black guest or the white guest, would you like to be put in touch with your White cousins, Cory mm-hmm. Booker, Cory Booker's mm-hmm. uh, mother. Um, the Cory Booker's uh, grandfather was a white man 
who was a, a doctor in the in this town, Louisiana. Yeah. And we, we reunited Corey Booker's cousin with Corey's mother and Corey at Corey's house in Newark, and we filmed that. And it was deeply moving. So mm. um, I have never once had a black person say, no, I don't mm-hmm. want to meet the descendants of the white man who owe me. And don't you think that's fascinating? I think, um, it's, I think it's awesome. Yeah. But despite the complicated nature or the brutal nature of the um, paternity event, people still want to know who I came from, what happened to them, what my cousins look like, because you are carrying DNA from that side of the family tree. Right, right. That's interesting. And and often it leads to a great deal of healing and and reconciliation. Only one time, in the case of Jeffrey Canada, we contacted um, two white descendants, two descendants of a white man who possibly could be Jeffrey's great great grandfather. Uh-huh. And both of them said no. Uh, one man wouldn't talk to us, and the sister, she talked to me. She said she'd seen the show. She was an elderly. Uh-huh. Um, we sent more DVDs. I told her Oprah had been in the show. Man, I was pulling out all the all the. <laughs> <laughs> got to do what you got to do. <laughs> yep. And then I called her, and she said, "No, I've decided I'm not going to do it." And I said, "Why?" She said, "It would embarrass my daddy." And I was thinking, "Your daddy's oh. dead." You know. <laughs> and she said, "I don't care." <laughs> she she goes, "No, I'm not going to do it." So I said, "Well, ma'am, I respect that. If you ever change your mind." Uh, let me know. But you know what? Now um, we can build family trees um, from even if on the DNA site it says your fourth or fifth or sixth cousin with enough work, we can construct family trees and find the identities now wow. of your ancestors more easily than we could back when I did Jeffrey Canada. Um, in fact, with me, We've known for years, I mean, my whole life, I'm 69 years old, we've known that Jane Gates is my great-great-grandmother. I have her picture upstairs. I'm in my house in Harvard Square right now, and we have a family history room, and we have pictures of my ancestors, and I'm very blessed that I have great records. Mm-hmm. My family never moved, you know. My well, family, that helps. I just said, yeah, I just said from three sets of black people who were free, my fourth-great-grandparents, and they lived in the same county in Virginia, which is now West Virginia, 30 miles from where I live. Wow. So we have tremendous continuity in family. Right. We have land that we inherited from when, when one set of my fourth great grandparents were free in 1823 by a white man named Abraham Van Meter. He gave them a thousand acres of land. And my Bruce and uh, cousin still own some of that land. You know, I mean, wow. we have Tremendous amount of stability, very unusual for right. Americans. Well, let me ask you, you know. this, because sometimes it's easier to put the dots together for our white ancestors because they have better records. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I just did a, a video um, for our lead sponsor, Ancestry.com, and it was about tips for um, – doing an ancestry and myths about African-American ancestry, because my job is to help everybody find their roots, and, and especially black people, of course, mm-hmm. because 
uh, I am a professor of African and African American studies, but I'm, I'm like, I'm very proud of the fact that many of our guests are Ashkenazi Jewish people from Eastern Europe and tracing mm-hmm. their ancestors <laughs> is just as hard as tracing African American ancestors. Right. Uh, because of the, of the, all the anti-Semitism and records were destroyed and they haven't been digitized, et cetera, et cetera. But here's what we do. You, you, the trick is you start with yourself and then you work backwards to the 1870 census. And everybody's in the 1870 census for the first time, everybody black, because the census only recorded the names of free people. Hmm. So in 1860, 90% of our ancestors were enslaved, so they weren't in the census. But the, um, um, the 10% of our ancestors were free, and they were in the, they were in the census. So in, if you're lucky enough to be uh, descended from someone who was free, it's easy to trace your, your ancestry back on slavery. So what do we do for the people, 90% of us, whose ancestors were enslaved? Well, let's say you find out that your ancestor, let's, in, let's hypothetically call him Michael Smith in okay. 1870. Okay. Michael Smith is, li- is living in Atala County, Mississippi. Well, you go back, and, and he's 30 years old, and he's your great-great-great-grandfather. Mm-hmm. You go back to the 1860 census and look for any white person who owned slaves whose last name was Smith. And then there was a, a separate schedule called the slave schedule. Mm-hmm. You see, if he owned a male slave who was 20 years old, wow. and if he did, chances are that that's your ancestor. So wow. then you look in, in, in this um, white man, Mr. 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 Smith, you mm-hmm. look in his estate records because if he had a will, he would say, I leave my slave Michael to my daughter Mary. Or he would have to list the names of slaves when he paid taxes or other legal, um, other legal documents. And so the key to finding the ancestry of an enslaved African-American is finding the white family that wow. owned them and then looking for their first name in their records. And, if you're, and, and we have been very fortunate in being able to do this many, many times uh, since we started what's now Finding Your Roots in 2005. I encourage all African Americans to go to their local genealogy society and um, like in New York, there's a New York Genealogical Society and in New England on Newberry Street, Boston, there's a New England Genealogical Society, but every major city has um, in, through the public library as a, a genealogist working there or they could connect you and you can just walk in and they'll help you they'll show you mm-hmm. how to go online and begin to search for your ancestors and wow. it's, it's as easy as pie really the hardest thing is just getting the motivation to do it and right to do it you just type in the name of a grandparent and it's like magic all the times their name appears in any record it just connects you to them boom and I'm telling you, it's dangerous because once you get hooked, um, <laughs> it's addictive. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know what? I think you have to be addicted to even be at this point um, doing the show. How did it all start for you? I know, you know, you've been a professor of African-American heritage for quite some time. But 
what was it in your life that said, this is what I want to do, and I actually want to track people's DNA and ancestry? It, it is such a great question. The story is so crazy. Um, I got interested in doing my own family tree when I was nine years old, and it's because we, that's when we buried July 3rd. I even know the date, 1960. That's uh-huh. the day we buried my father's father, uh, Edward St. Lawrence Gates was his name. Uh-huh. And he looked like a white man. And, and my daddy took me up uh, by the hand to his casket at his funeral. And all the colored people were there, as we would say in the old days. Right. And I was looking at this man. He looked so white, looked like a ghost. You know, he, wow. was, <laughs> he looked like he had been painted with alabaster, sprinkled with baby powder. And I was thinking, <laughs> how much did I look like this white man? And where did that whiteness come from? Right. So the next day, and then that, that night, my dad showed my brother, Dr. Paul Gates, he's an oral surgeon, um, I, he showed us a picture of um, our great-great-grandmother. She was a mm-hmm. slave. Her name was Jane Gates. I have her picture upstairs. I'm standing in my kitchen right now in my house in wow. Harvard Square. And upstairs we have a family history room. And I have her picture, the original picture of this woman, Jane Gates, who was born in 1819, and she died in 1888, and her house in Cumberland, Maryland, is on the historic register. Um, my cousin John Gates and his wife Sook Gates uh, chair a board. You know, when they were, we're restoring the house, and you know, tourists mm-hmm. come and see it. Um, and um, the next day, so I was so amazed by how white my grandfather looked in that casket, and by the picture of this woman who was a slave, you know, who looked so different than my grandfather. Mm-hmm. She was a midwife, by the way. And she oh, was okay. in her nursing outfit in this picture. And mm-hmm. I was thinking, how can I be related to these people? So the next night, sitting in front of our little black and white TV watching ABC and NBC and CBS, because that's all we had on that's TV. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> I interviewed my parents, my mother and father, and mm-hmm. I did my version of our family tree. Now, I was only nine years old, so I, I only was interested in the Gates line and my mother's family is the Coleman family, the Coleman line. But I went back to my great-great-grandmother Jane on my father's side and my great-great-grandparents on my mother's side. Um, so I, 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 I was bitten by the ancestry bug when I was nine. Now, I would lose that notebook because mm-hmm. um, I was just a kid. And then I would sit down with my parents and ask them all over again. My father would say, damn it, boy, I told you all this information. <laughs> <laughs> and then I would, I would do it all over again. Then in the year 2000, a black geneticist named, a brilliant man named Dr. Rick Kittles, wrote to me and said, asked me had I ever written Roots. This is what the letter said. And I go, what kind of idiot this guy think I am? Everybody's saying Roots. Then he said, <laughs> we can now do in a, in a laboratory, in a test tube, what Alex Haley did for himself in Roots. And wow. when I volunteer, I called him on the phone. I said, come up tomorrow. I am yeah. I, And he came up and tested me. And then at that time, you had to get blood. Now you just spit in the test tube. Right. And so, you know, they analyzed my DNA. And a, a little while later, I woke up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom. And when I was standing there in the bathroom, a bolt of lightning hit me that I could do a TV show Wow! using the tracing the ancestry of black Americans back to slavery. And then when the paper trail disappeared, 
I could do their DNA. Wow. And, um, tell where they were from in Africa. And I was so excited. And I got um, Quincy Jones and Oprah and Chris Tucker. And, you know, nobody even knew we could do it. All these sponsors said, can you do it? I go, yes, I could do it. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know we could do it or not. And we, we <laughs> made this show called African American Lives, and it was a huge hit. People right. were screaming. And so PBS asked me to do a sequel, and I got Maya Angelou and Morgan Freeman and Tina Turner, and it was an even bigger hit. And then they said, a woman wrote me and said, you can't just do black people. you got to do white people like me. <laughs> <laughs> she and, was Jewish, you know, wasn't, wasn't she? Can we talk yeah. about this? She was I a, thought so. Yeah, right. she, was, she was of Russian-Jewish extraction. And I called PBS. I go, can I do that? They go, absolutely. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and so we expanded the brand, as they say, on Wall Street. And the result is, this is sixth season of Finding Your Roots. Wow. And we have, they've expanded us to 16 episodes because we're so popular. Tell people how we even met. I mean, you were doing work on finding your roots at the time. I was working at AT&T, and this is back in 2016, and we met over the phone. Do you remember that? That's right. Yes. I do remember that. I do yes. remember that. And, and I remember we, telling my team, was, I was like, okay, everybody, we're going to meet Dr. Gates over the phone, but I have to warn you, I'm going to go through kind of a fangirl moment. There's going to be a moment here because I'm going to tell him that I cited him in my master's thesis back when I was in grad school. And boy, you were the most friendly person. That was, it was so exciting. And, oh. You know, from then on, you just worked with us. And then there was a run-up at the end of 2018 where we had this big event where we kind of did a Finding Your Roots on AT&T we headquarters, did. We, on their campus. We did at, at AT&T headquarters, and Dave Huntley and uh, board member Glenn Hutchins flew yes. from L.A. early so they could attend. And we should say that AT&T is one of my major corporate sponsors for Good. I'm glad they signed on again. <laughs> yeah, and what's so satisfying about that is that my father had two jobs. He worked at the paper mill in the daytime, and he was a janitor in the evening at the, the um, well, branch of AT&T, Chesapeake oh, wow. Telephone Company, one of the baby bells, you know, where the operators were, and they used to put the, the um, uh, connections in the holes, you know. Right, right. High chairs and have the headphones. My father would work there two hours in the evening. And so for me now to be sponsored by AT&T, you know, yeah. along with Johnson & Johnson and uh, our lead sponsor, Ancestry.com. But for AT&T to be one of our sponsors, it's just like only in America. Is right. Today, right? Yeah. Well, it was just amazing to see those big book of life that you brought out for each one of the executives. That was just one of the most amazing yeah. times. It really was. I love it. And, yeah. you know, and I never yet <laughs> I've done over 200 uh, reveals of Ancestry for Finding Your Roots, and I never get tired. I never get bored. It's always magical, and it's a miracle. And people, people laugh, people cry, yeah. they weep sometimes, you know, and mm-hmm. they are riveted, and they sit there for four hours while we do um, the full reveal. 
your biggest appeal to me as a person is that you are one of the best storytellers in the whole wide world. And then what you're doing here is really just piecing together the tapestry of stories that make us who we are. Is that... That's absolutely what my goal is. I believe that all of our ancestors are kind of trapped in purgatory until we find them on our family tree. And then we open the door and they tell their story, you know? Yeah. They're all there waiting, and, and uh, they're all there waiting to be discovered. And we discover them. Well, um, it's just amazing. And they, because you are carrying DNA from all the ancestors that we find in your family tree going back hundreds of years. So you are a walking family tree, even in your genome, even though you don't know it. And also, you have been in, in influenced. You know, when you'd say, well, the Smiths just do it this way, or the Coleman's just do it this right. way, and they've been doing it this way, and you don't know where in the world that came from. <laughs> well, right. we, we unveil stories that tell you why you're so crazy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You know, you That's know, oh my funny. God, you know, like, I just said, but that dude, no wonder I'm crazy. You know? <laughs> well, Dr. Gates, I really appreciate you coming on. It's been a pleasure. Look, I have one more favor. If I'm ever in the Boston area and you are teaching at Harvard, if I could just wiggle into your classroom and sit in the back, I would just, uh, that would make my life. <laughs> you got a deal. I will be uh, teaching second semester. On Tuesdays, you email me, and I'll let you come to my class. Oh, that is so awesome. Thank you so much for your interview. It's great to reconnect with you. You're a fabulous interviewer, and uh, oh. I'm sending you a lot of love. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dr. Gates. All my best to everyone okay. and everyone at PBS, too. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. You, too. Bye-bye. What an exciting conversation with Dr. Henry Louis Gates, Jr., of course, he's the host of Finding Your Roots. Hopefully, you caught the season premiere on Tuesday. If not, try next Tuesday at 8 o'clock Eastern. And then following up, you might just want to go online. Because sometimes PBS will stream parts or whole episodes. So check it out. And thank you, Dr. Gates, for having me in your classroom. I cannot wait. Maybe it can coincide with something we have cooking in Martha's Vineyard. That's all I have to say about that. More to come. Find us online at theculturesoup.com, on Instagram and Twitter at The Culture Soup, and on Facebook at The Culture Soup Podcast. Until next week. The Culture Soup Podcast is a production of No Size Communication, LLC. The Culture Soup Podcast is a registered trademark of No Silos Communications, LLC.